Welcome to Premium Cashflow Real Estate Investing Podcast with Sakar Kauli. During this program, you will hear guest experts sharing their experiences, best practices, and market insights. We discuss investing in multifamily apartment complexes and how a busy professional can passively invest hassle-free in various opportunities. Your host, Sakar Kauli, owns millions of dollars of assets and has done thousands of value-add projects over 20 years now. So listen in for insights. Here's your host, Sakar Kauli. So welcome to another edition of Premium Cashflow Podcast. Uh, today, I have the pleasure of having uh, Mr. James Kandaswamy. And James is with Achieve Investment Group. And James has, is owning well over 1,500 units now spread across various apartment complexes. And James, along with his wife, has achieved an incredible amount of uh, portfolio in a very short time. So without further ado, James, uh, I want to welcome you to Premium Cashflow Podcast. I think our audience are going to enjoy your experience and your advice that you have to share uh, as it relates to, uh, you know, apartment complex and general real estate investing. So uh, I want to welcome you to the show, James. And if you can share, James, uh, in terms of, you know, where you started and how you went about your real estate journey, uh, that would be, uh, you know, so great to hear. Sure, sure. I mean, uh... James Kandasamy, happy to be here, Sagar. Thanks for having me here. Sure. Uh, we started in single family houses in, back in 2015, uh, sorry, 2013, and then 2015 when we moved to multifamily, right? So, um, yeah, single family is where we started. We started with uh, what, 13 single family, where 11 of it was uh, rental and two of it were flip. And, um, you know, uh, after hitting a bottleneck in single family, you know, we moved on to multifamily. Mm -hmm. So we have been doing uh, multifamily since 2015. Uh, right now, we have like almost 1,400, not 1,500, 1,400 units in sure. all in San Antonio and Austin. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, my wife and I runs the show. Uh, she runs the operation and rehab and I do the acquisition and investor relationship. So, right. mm -hmm. so yeah, she's very strong in her area. I'm, I'm really good in my area too. So that's how I got started. Sure, sure. I think your operation, James, is, uh, you know, more or less in terms of structure is similar to mine where, you know, I also focus on acquisitions in our side and, uh, you know, my wife primarily oversees the renovations and, you know, property really? management aspect of things. <laughs> that's so good. there's some that's similarity. Good. Now you know all the problems we have, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> marriage. Both can relate One to of that. the things we talk when we are on the big age. <laughs> I know, I know. So, uh, James, um, yeah. how was your like first deal? Like, what made you shift into, let's say, apartment complex investing? And um, what was sort of that tipping point that you, uh, you know, thought that, hey, you know, single family model is probably not going to work. What made you shift towards multifamily? Well, I mean, I was trying to, I mean, single family worked very well, right? I mean, you can find a lot of deals, uh, you know, quickly, you know, because it's smaller deals, right? I mean, you 200, 300,000 or 100,000, you can buy a house. And you're on your own, right? You can control everything. You know, the cash flow is, is, in fact, if you look at cash flow, it can be much better than multifamily. 
However, uh, I was doing a lot of analysis on why people say multifamily is better. Right? I can never find a reason for one week because, uh, you know, why is that? Uh, why is multifamily is better? Right? Yeah, I understand the scale. I understand the business aspect of it. You know, but, you know, we can work hard and make multi, single family. You know, we, we can make like 20-30% easily on single family. And multifamily, people are talking about 8 to 9%. And why is that? Right? But... So after one week, the aha moment came in on the false appreciation play of the multifamily where you can refi and pull out money, right? So that is something you can't get in a single family. I mean, after Correct. then I realized, oh my God, that's, that's the whole thing, right? Because you can force appreciate, pull out your money. You can still do it in single family. In fact, my single family portfolio, I almost refi like three or four times, you know, <laughs> 45,000 and rehab it for 10, 15,000 become like 75,000. We rehab it once and go to hundred thousand. We rehab it twice. And, and then we go to 120, 30,000. We start rehabbing. And now we, we have started selling our single family home. You can do that too in single family, but the amount of work, because you know, you're playing on the smaller scale too, right? You're playing right, like one right. Z, two Z. So you're, you're, the amount of effort that you put in, it's a lot more in the single family, right? Uh, but multifamily, you're running it like a business, right? If you're really good at you know, running people, running projects, you know, turning around things, if you have passion for it, you're doing it on a much larger scale and you make a lot more money within the short time frame. So end of the day, investment is about, you know, time value of money. You know, you can sure. make $10 million, you know, from now until 70 years old. At 70 years old, you probably have $10 million. Or you can make, the, you know, $10 million in... Uh, in probably four to five years, right? Where you can enjoy it right now, right? So it's all about IRR, where's the time value of money. So, so you know, multifamily is where you can accumulate growth and wealth very quickly within sure, a sure. shorter time frame. Very well said, very well said there. And James, how was your first deal like? Uh, how many units and how you kind of sourced that deal? How did that come about? So first deal was 45 units. Uh, you know, that, I mean, as I said, since 2010 until now, everybody says uh, every deal is expensive, right? I mean, the same thing in 2010 too. Deals were expensive because there are other problems, right? So it, it's all relative. <laughs> it's always market. relative, right? All the time, everything is expensive, but the time to buy deals in real estate is always now, right? It's, sure. it's, it's yesterday, <laughs> right? So true, true. Um, so we bought 45 units at that time. Uh, you know, I was looking for deals. You know, I was doing single family, right? And it's hard to get into multifamily, especially mm-hmm. if you're a newbie, because you are a different uh, league. Right. Sure. So mm-hmm. I started talking to brokers and talking to people, trying to get deals. And this was what, like 2014. Um, and it's just so hard because nobody will listen to you. I think even now is the same thing, right? Uh, same right. thing even in 2013. I'm sure it's the same thing in 2010. It's hard to get started because uh, it's a different league and brokers that really doesn't want to talk to you and risk their commission with a newbie, right? So what we did is we started going direct to Sellers, hey, we, we do that in single family, right? <laughs> That's how we, <Sure. laughs> we bought like, out of 11, we bought like six, you know, free cash out of pocket. Oh, really? Uh, almost zero cash out of pocket. So yeah, we had like 11 houses. Average cash out of pocket was 6,000 per door. And this was in San Antonio. So it's not like a, a distress market mm-hmm. like Detroit or where you know, nobody want to go and invest at that Sure, market. sure. Now probably things have changed, but, but it's, it's a hot market, right? So so we say, hey, let's do that in multifamily, right? There must be one guy who want to sell direct to us, right? So, <laughs> so we use something called tax blasting and uh, we're able to find someone who said, hey, you know, why we want to, we're thinking of selling this and all that. And, 
and you'll be surprised. I mean, these are the same tactics that brokers use, right? So brokers, Correct. when they get started, they also have to establish relationship, right? No sellers just want to give their multi-million dollar deals to any brokers, right? So it takes time for them to establish relationship. All the top brokers also, all, the, all of them started this way, right? They started establishing relationship. They started, you know, building their credibility with some sellers and that changed their whole, uh, their whole paradigm, right? So, so buying the deal directly from seller made a lot of difference, uh, right? So we bought it at... I think market was selling at 55 a door. We bought it like 35 a door. Even at 35 a door, I could not wow. make it work because I didn't know how to underwrite deals. So I started learning how to underwrite deals at that time. That's that's very important. <laughs> yeah, because and as I said, newbies is is multi multi level problem, right? First is uh, right. you don't have credibility. Second is you do not know how to underwrite deals. Correct. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and that's where we got started. We were able to find a deal which makes sense, and mm-hmm. and it was a home run from then. Nice, nice. And I think once you get the momentum going behind you, I think uh, broker starts approaching you and the deals uh-huh. suddenly start to show up. I mean, correct, uh, correct. what they call like the pocket deals, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, correct. Yeah, I mean, after we do two deals where we bought direct from sellers mm-hmm. and I, I getting calls from broker and say, who are you buying these deals? You know, we do not know you. <laughs> I know. Because <laughs> they I'm are really like local. <laughs> They think they control the market, but there's one guy going behind their back and buying the deals directly from, I know, from I sellers. Know. And they were like, oh my God, we better get to know this guy, right? Because I mean, once they know you're a player in the market, they want to work with players because, you know, obviously the players knows the sub-market pretty well. At the same time, um, they right. one day, they, you know, they, we might sell our deals to them, right? So because you always buy wholesale and try to sell retail right so i know i know it's 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 very interesting you say that james because uh, you know you start with the sub market and you kind of focus on you know certain parts once you come uh-huh. to those certain parts you start to know the entire neighborhoods and right. you come to know the streets and next thing you know is that oh you don't even need to go there you just know the area you just tell me the block tell me you know what complex or what house it is and boom you know, yeah. if you strikes, you, you pretty much uh, are aware of it and you kind of know all the homework would have, is already there. So Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think local players have a lot of advantage. I mean, even nowadays, whenever a broker call me and I, I can tell you, hey, there's something wrong with that deal. You know, let me find out. And, and uh, usually, you know, that kind of deals, they look for out-of-state players, out-of-city players because sure. a lot of times they, they may not know the details. But, but yeah, if you're local, you know, it absolutely you have advantage to it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Nice. Nice. And also James, like speaking about deal analysis and mm-hmm. things like that, like how do you go about, uh, you know, let's say if a offering memorandum comes across your desk. How do you go about saying, okay, this OM like this deal. Okay. Uh, like what, 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 like sort of the first parameters you use for, uh, you know, either reading out or, Hey, this deems, you know, second look, uh, can we thoroughly look at it? Can you maybe describe how your process is like how you go about those things? Oh, so any OM that I get fails the test of sniff test. Okay. So Ooh, deals that I buy, <laughs> I don't look at OM at all. I see just, okay, thank you. And I just, whenever I get an OM on the mail, I, I, I click the, you know, the box behind the mail and I put read. Read, read, read. So I don't even look at OMs that's being sent. I know. I think prettier the OM, I think the scarier it is, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, if the broker come to a stage where they're sending OMs, that means all the local players already saw it and all the good buyers, all the credible Cast buyers already it. saw it and all that. So I don't really look at 
OMs being sent because, uh, you know, what's the point of buying deals on the market, right? I mean, you know, you will be the highest bidder. Sure. Mm-hmm. And you're probably the, <laughs> the guy who paid the most for paid it, right? Paid the most, correct, correct. Yeah, the way deals work nowadays, you know, good deals are mm-hmm. bought by local players, right? Mm-hmm. Or players who are already in the market, they know the sub-market. So the way, if you understand the, the world of brokers nowadays, we are at the peak of the market, right? So correct. good deals are always being shopped with the most uh, credible buyers who they have done deals with. So they get the first look. Sure. Right? So, so no deals are off market unless you're buying direct from sellers. Correct. Correct. Right? Yeah, if you're buying from broker, it's always on market deal because they have to do their fiduciary responsibility to go on market and do the best for the sellers. Correct. correct. Right. Unless you have a deal opposite this deal, then they may come back to you and say, that, hey, you know, I have a deal in front of you. You're the best guy to buy it. So that could be a real off market deal or a deal which fall out of contract or there's something that only you can fix the problem, right? Sure. Uh, or you are willing to take the chance and fix the problem. There are the three criteria of off-market deals. You buy direct from seller, deals that fall off contract and you have a special skills that you can, you can take over the deal or you have a deal nearby and they come to you directly. There are three real off-market deals. All other deals are on market, no matter what the brokers tell you. Very right. true. There's there's a price for every deal, and at a, some price, it will always sell, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, correct. They usually look for that suckers who are from out of state, out of city, who's willing to pay that much money, right? True, true. Sometimes um, you know, uh, like when we also look at deals, uh, James, mm-hmm. we are like trying to see like if it is closer to hundred uh, based on our capacity. I know you buy much larger deals now, mm-hmm. but typically where you know our group looks at is that hey, has the ownership owned for at least like five years, seven years, correct, so correct. that, you know, there's mm-hmm. some type of, uh, you, you know, uh, loan assumptions we could do sometimes, or mm-hmm. they would have some significant equity behind their back that, you know, hey, if we make an aggressive offer, you know, mm-hmm. we have some room to play with, or mm-hmm. we tend to pass on deals, like, let's say if it's more than 50% value added already, I think mm-hmm. there's not much for the next operator left. And of course, as you said very correctly, that there is, you know, the market factor that the market is so hard that you got to be always cognizant of, you know, how Mm -hmm. real the value add strategy is going to be. So we tend to, you know, look at some of those as well. And speaking of that value add, James, I know, uh, you you know, since you do uh, these value add deals, Mm -hmm. right? So how are you like doing, like, how are you positioning your dollars? Like how much are you spending? What type of improvements you are doing interior, exterior? Can you maybe describe? That's a really good question. So basically we focus a lot on the interiors, but the exterior also, of course we do it. Right. But, uh, um, so yeah, we do exterior as well, but a lot of focus on the interior, but you'll be surprised to see how much value at just from not doing anything. Mm-hmm. So what do I mean by that, right? So just mm-hmm. by installing good management, sure. you can get a lot of value at just by good management. You don't have to do anything to the property mm-hmm. because a lot of property management companies are just so mismanaged. The tenant knows how bad they have been living in different, different places. So mm-hmm. sometimes they really appreciate good management. Mm-hmm. Right. When give you give us an example. Order. If you can maybe give an example, what exactly do you So mean? just like following up on work orders, right? And you know, being mm-hmm. nice to tenants, you know, listening to them, following up on mm-hmm. the work orders. A lot of tenants at class B and C really, really appreciate that. And they mm-hmm. don't mind paying $30, $40 more just because you're nice, right? So at the end sure. of the day, you understand it's not about rent price that people are looking for. People are looking for nice house to live. They want sure, sure. 
them to be heard. So, so right now our strategy has been like, you know, we, we try to turn around properties very quickly. By the same time, we try to instill good mm-hmm. management first. Mm-hmm. But before starting to rehab, because by just good management, people start to lease with you. People like to renew their leases and all that. Then we go to the next level where we start, you know, doing the exterior, doing the interiors and all that. But, but what I've realized is even with good management, there's tons of uh, value add that you can just do for free. Right. Sure. But mm-hmm. of course, uh, the trick is, you know, we have our own property management. We, we, we tightly control our property management company. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. You know, we, I look at my PNL and performance every day. Right. And my wife is very strong in property management. So, so we do a lot of things on our own and it's hard for, when, for, for an operator to give it to third party and expect the same because sure. it's not their baby and they're going to take forever to do it. But so that's the challenges that, you know, in good management is, you know, uh, comes in, right? So sometimes a lot of times, um, you know, as I said, it's not, it's not only, you know, increasing rents, reducing mm-hmm. expense. You know, first level I always see is, mm-hmm. as I'm realizing through my experience, as I do my deals by deals, you know, just by good management, mm-hmm. the tenants appreciate it so much and they don't mind paying $20, $30 more just for good uh, management. Right, right. That's, that's first thing we do it. And after that, we look for interiors and we also do exteriors. But interiors is where we focus the most. Sure. What, what kind of dollars are you spending uh, on the interiors? Uh, interiors, on probably 3,500 What is what we do. And mm-hmm. we usually like to do flooring. We like to do uh, new two-tone paints, uh, new fixtures, mm-hmm. um, you know, new toiletries, new toilet pictures. Uh, mm-hmm. So these are things we do. I mean, uh, we, we used to do crown molding, stainless steel and all that, but we realized you don't really have to do that much, right? Uh, you know, it's based on, you know, what the demographics around the neighborhood is. And yeah, yeah. Correct. But most of the tenant demographics nowadays, they are okay with black appliances itself, you know, good flooring. And, and as I say, the most important thing I realize is not all this money that we are putting in. Of course, it attracts people <laughs> to come and lo- you know, live in a nice place and, uh, you know, nice units and all that. But a lot of, lot of things I see is just good management. I know the huge difference. I, I think what you said earlier, James, about having a listening ear and, you know, having a bit of em- showing empathy basically yeah. towards a tenant base. And, and I always, I think I refer to my uh, tenants as being resident tenants. Basically, I mm-hmm. always say that, Hey, you're the resident of the unit. And I right. always, you know, treat them with utmost respect. And mm-hmm. like, we barely have vacancies in our portfolio in general, like Correct. every now and then, uh, you know, things do happen for a certain mm-hmm people are moving out and speaking about you know your deep value add uh, uh, place that you do mm-hmm. like have you seen like when you acquire these properties james like have you seen that hey due to like the different repositioning you're doing and things like that or let's say mm-hmm. if the tenant base is uh, you know different than what mm-hmm. your strategy is have you okay. seen any like tenants who leave and you have sort of a drop in occupancy uh, in your uh, sort of complexes as you are kind of, uh, you know, trying to reposition the entire asset class there? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So <laughs> all this deep value at uh, the tenant occupancy will drop from 90 something percent at, at sale of point, point of sale, right? So mm-hmm. almost 75%, 77% because wow. we are new sheriff in town mm-hmm. and we want to do quick turnaround and, you know, people start leaving because now they say, Oh, we have been living like this for 10 years. Now this guy doesn't understand what we are going through. Right. So, right. Right. And the property is also distressed. So they don't really see immediately, you know, mm-hmm. 
received mm-hmm. a big mismatch of expectation from the new owners mm-hmm. or the new management company compared to the performance mm-hmm. of the property, right? So, but we should we are able to recover very quickly because we do a good job in rehab. Mm-hmm. Uh, so within six months, we go back to ninety percent, right? So, but by that time, you will have a much better tenant base. You have a much better ten uh, staffing. Um, and you have much better units uh, that has been rehabbed and the exterior has been rehabbed. So people see that, but so our occupancy always drops because we do value add. Even on a, on a stabilized deal, mm-hmm. uh, in San Antonio, we still see a value drop because people like to skip when they see new management. They think that they can escape not paying rents in class. Interesting, years. interesting. So you're yeah. saying, uh, James, if I heard you correctly, you're buying properties that are more or less stabilized, but still maybe like class B, trending towards class C, things like that. Mm-hmm. And you do your deep value add uh, plays. And mm-hmm. during that time frame, you see that occupancy dip because, you, you know, it's just the state of affairs in, in that uh, apartment complex. Uh, and, and maybe more so because I think you're going to direct owners. So that whole buildings uh, or that apartment complex in some state of, uh, you know, deferred maintenance or, you know, needing a lot of TLC uh, all around the units. Is that kind of what describes uh, in general, like, you, you know, you're going direct to the sellers in, uh, for the most part. So in that... Yeah, but it's still, uh, still, I mean, the sellers use third-party property management. It's just the different standards of property management, right? Sure. I mean, mm-hmm. if you look at asset classes, multifamily, yeah, I mean, it has been making money for the past 10 years, but it's also one of the hardest asset class to manage. Absolutely. Right, mm-hmm. right. So you, prop, property management is where you make the money, right? Sure, Especially sure. Especially a good one. So... Even in deep value add, it goes from 90 to maybe 75, 77. But even on a, good, on a good deal where we think it was stabilized, even a B class, we think it's 95% good tenant base. Once we take over, it, it usually drops to like 90 to 85% because we are coming in with different standards. Right? Sure, uh, absolutely. Putting new uh, criteria for tenant base and... And it's just how it is, how I've seen That's it. That's just how business works, you know. You, yeah, you have I'm not sure rules. whether other markets is different, <laughs> but I'm not sure how, uh, you know, occupancy doesn't drop once at ownership change. Maybe, I don't know, maybe there's some skill that I don't have, <laughs> but but I only see uh, tenants leaving after we take over and and we are just ready because now, okay, now all the bad guys leave. Now we, we have- No, you just expect, you just expect. Expect uh, expect that uh, you know surprise and correct know, correct. I just see how bad it drops. I just wait and see how bad it drops. But um, but on a stabilized deal, uh, you know, we see it drops like eighty five to eighty five percent to eighty three percent. But on a deep value add, it goes to like seventy five seventy seven. Right. Just because and it has been distressed. Speaking of acquisitions now, uh, James, mm-hmm. like so when you're looking at the uh, like let's say OM. How are you analyzing? Do you pay attention to, you know, what the pro forma is calling for or are you mostly basing your uh, sort of your acquisitions most on, uh, you know, what the current state of affairs is or what the T12 uh, has called for? Is that No, I don't look at pro forma at all. We have our own pro forma that we put in because we know the expenses that we want to, we're going to use to run, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I really don't look at OM. In fact, I one of the deal I bought recently until we close on the day of closing, I say, did you ever had OM for this deal? Then the, then the broker say, yeah, yeah, we had OM. Okay. Can you send that to me? <laughs> so, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Because a lot of times we will know whether a deal is good deal or not just by the tone of voice from the broker. 
Oh, I see. Mm-hmm. Right. So if it's a good deal, they, I mean, they're talking to an experienced buyer, right? So mm-hmm. they have to, they don't have to sell a lot, right? Yeah. <laughs> if it's not a good deal, they have to tell you a lot of stories about the deal, right? Sure, sure. So within a few seconds, I would know whether a deal is makes sense for me to analyze it or not, right? So, but I don't really look at Proforma that the brokers send because a lot of, I mean, they are brokers. They're supposed to market it. As sure. as a you know as a as a palace right so so uh, I just look at what is the story you know they said okay value add how much they have done uh, how many how many years is the ownership has been there I don't buy deals which people have owned like two years three years because oh, sure. yeah. the deal and there's not much of equity in there right? Right, right unless you see something that you can come in and change completely but it's very rare that uh, I think only one deal which I bought like you know. Um, was owned by two years. All other deals is owned like more like 10 years, you know, 15. Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of equity, you know, you can buy right. at a good price and usually it's in a more distress where you can go and, uh, not say distress, it's just mismanaged or deferred maintenance, right? Where you can go and improve it. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, but we don't look at the performa from the brokers. I see. So, like, for example, this whole concept of like, hey, I I have to buy the deal at a certain cap rate and things like that. Do you attribute any attention to these sort of going in cap rates or anything like that? Or do you? So unless you're buying deals for cash flow and don't expect any value to add, you can look at cap rate, entry cap rate, because that's what the big institutional guys do to park their money. It's called wealth preservation. And Sure. And you can do it in class A, you know, in a top market in downtown, new building. You can look at entry cap rate because a lot of insurance company, a lot of REITs and all that, they just want to preserve the uh, the money, right? But mm-hmm. we are not in preserving money. We are in the business of making money, right? So we want to make money for our investors. Right. So I don't look at entry cap rate at all uh, right. because right. I do a lot of value adds. So uh, like the deal recently I bought, I bought it at 3.7 cap rate. Right? It's crazy, oh, wow. right? market said 5.5 and why is this crazy guy buying at 3.7 can, can you describe uh, james like what that deal looks like you know like <laughs> how many units because I, i'm interested because buying at such a low cap rate you must have seen some upside uh, into it or maybe a huge upside to it to justify uh, you know yeah that yeah correct 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 that's true so you have to look at the spread from where you're buying to where you're going to take it right sure, so sure. <laughs> So the 3.7 cap rate that we bought, uh, the incident was like huge. It's like double the property taxes. And nobody can explain why, right? But we, mm-hmm. uh, so we walked around and we see there's nothing wrong with this property. Why is the insurance so high? How many and units was that, by the way? It was 240 units. 240 units. And yeah, we just closed the... like two weeks ago, right? Uh, so they were marketing 3.7 and I was telling broker, hey, why are you showing me 3.7 cap rate? But when I look at the financial, I say, yeah, there's something completely wrong, right? So, so that's why I say the one of the biggest skills that any underwriters or any operators need to have is you know, looking at financial and catching that, right? Because sure, sure. That's, that tells the whole story. And I say, this is something wrong with the financials. And, and they said, uh, and everybody's questioning why the insurance is so high. Insurance was like 400,000 for 240 units. It's supposed wow. to be like 70,000. Instead of 70,000, it's 400,000. And they left it there. And they put it, of course, in the proforma, they took it out. Uh, but, but, you know, we usually don't buy on proforma. Right? We look at actual and sure. nobody can explain. And we say, oh, oh, they said the one building had a fire. I said, even a building with fire shouldn't be 40,000, right? So I talked yeah. to my insurance agent. He said, no, no. Unless there is like a flood insurance or like a flood zone. Yeah, zone. we were like trying to find out why is it 400,000. <laughs> even the seller doesn't know. Seller said, yeah, I didn't build the 
I didn't build the the burnt unit and they charged me so high. And so we just went ahead and uh, with a due diligence, we said hey, something wrong. So we are, we are, we are going to discard that 400,000 and just put our numbers of, uh, I think 60,000, 65,000 of insurance because that's what we Wow. Wow. So that, so that just, itself can add like 300 and uh, what, like 340,000 to your bottom line. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's so unbelievable. We just went ahead and buy it. You know, so three points. I mean, we were doing due diligence and, uh, we were doing uh, and we cannot find anything wrong with that property yeah they are here and there you know they say there's rodent issue the rodent might might bite the wires cause fire you know so so many things oh, wow. we were like really really finding out why is the insurance so high so what, i did some, what year was this built in this 1980s oh wow okay it's so a, that's it's a new property it's a very nice property right true, so, true class b yeah. yeah yeah it's a class b property in a nice okay. location you know the seller owned it for 24 years uh, one owner. <laughs> so, okay, let's say uh, original owner, more or less. Original owner, yeah. They sent me a survey in a big white paper. White paper. It's not even in electronic copies. And wow, it was crazy, crazy complex uh, transaction. So, so you saw upside in like let's say reducing these type of expenses. Did they yeah. had any other issues in terms of like high contract services or no, some other? Not really. That was the biggest one, right? I mean, their rent was lower, low, right? Because same guy only for twenty four years they sure. never put money into the deal and all that. Mm-hmm. But amazingly, uh, so even my investors when I presented them, they say, James, how are you going to solve this insurance problem? I say. Well, I do not know what's the problem. There's no real problem, right? So, <laughs> so I have to go with my gut feeling, right? So it's very interesting because uh, halfway through, we were like, then I called the insurance people and they mm-hmm. said, no, we have a new code for 85,000. Okay, so 400,000 to 85,000. So the insurance, the current seller's insurance, I call them directly. I say, you know, I, I told them, hey, I, I want to look at these and maybe use you guys as an insurance person. So they were excited now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, because now they say, oh, the business is going to continue with them, right? So I say, is there anything wrong with that property? They say, no, nothing wrong. So why is it 400,000? They say they're not sure. <laughs> so <laughs> they used to charge. So, I mean, fast forward, right? as we go along, uh, the the banks start asking, why is it 400? Uh, the appraisers start asking, why is it 400,000? And, and we went back to the seller and really, really asked, him, why is this 400,000? The seller said, no, there's nothing wrong. The same thing. But then, uh, because the banks start asking the appraisal, so now the sellers start looking at the PNL and say, "Oh, it's, it's an accounting error." Oh my God! <laughs> How convenient for you! <laughs> How convenient! Yeah, he said, "Oh, actually, it's actually owner draw. Mm-hmm. Owner were drawing money from the property for own use, mm-hmm. and they found out that it was an actually an accounting error. The draw that they were making, mm-hmm. like hundred, two hundred thousand on a monthly basis, were actually mm-hmm. charged to insurance." Oh, wow. <laughs> so can you see the opportunity that you oh have? On the yeah. Even the property management doesn't know. Wow. Right? So <laughs> Yeah, they, they probably ignore that because they're saying, hey, the owner is paying it and they, they probably just completely discarded. Hey, we, we, we have nothing to do with the insurance. Yeah, yeah, they don't really care. I mean, yeah, 24 exactly. years ownership, who cares, right? So, yeah, yeah, exactly. And That's... the owner doesn't care because she's just getting money. She just don't know where it's got charged, right? And the True. broker also didn't really see, right? So... 
an apartment like, complex being owned for 24 years it yeah. does not get any better oh my <laughs> well this is the first podcast i'm talking about this particular story because we just closed like uh, two weeks ago but wow <laughs> but it's going to be a, a really good value add because it's in a good right. location and uh, it's 24 what, what sort of rent bumps you're expecting by the way james on this at least hundred dollars per, per dollar oh. I, I think we can get more but i do not want to over promise mm-hmm. uh, but it's just What's the market like? Is it demographic wise? Is it like university close by or is it close it's to close to uh, shopping? It's on the south side of San Antonio is a, is a gentrifying area. Mm-hmm. Um, not university, but it's close to like some manufacturing plant like Toyota is nearby. We have a Texas, okay. uh, we have a mm-hmm. Texas edition Toyota trucks mm-hmm. <laughs> being produced there in uh-huh. San Antonio. So it's close by to that. We have another property nearby. So we know the market pretty well. Very good. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. So there are the things that, you know, that, yeah, that helps. That, that if you look at cap rate, you're gonna pass it, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Three point seven. You're not touching it unless you yeah, know, even get very well. <laughs> so the market was five point five. So after you take out the insurance, it, it, that's like, where I was going with. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> after you take out the insurance, so you assume you take out the insurance cost. So you say it's completely wrong. You go back to market rate five point eight. Wow. Right. So I'm still buying it at market. Yep. Yep. Right. Yep, absolutely. Still buying it at market, but the thing is, the upside mm-hmm. of the spread from after you buy it. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the point where you're going to, uh, you know, stabilize your performa in the mm-hmm. next two years is basically 8%. Mm-hmm. So you're taking it from 58 to 8%. So you can see the spread of 2.5%. Wow. That's the, that is the value add that you're doing. Right, right, right. Absolutely. Right? So I look for that. I look for the spread. Not for day one Capri. I mean, that kind of deals no more existing now where you can no, get. No, I know, I know. And I think you, you definitely want to find such anomaly where I think, hey, the expenses could be high or something is off. And correct, correct. that does come by experience for sure. I mean, and, and typically speaking of that, uh, James, mm-hmm. under your operation that the mm-hmm. other apartment complexes you have and mm-hmm. stuff, what type of, like, are you doing rubs in them? What what type of expense ratios you are running those uh, properties at? We are running at 48 to 52% mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, maximum. I would say most of my, my properties are 48 to 50% I see. expense ratio. And utilities as far as water, sewer and all that, is that resident yeah. paid or that's Yeah, all it's paid? all resident paid. We don't have any all bills paid uh, properties. I see, I see. Wow. Yeah, that's and common still- in Texas nowadays. I see. Interesting. Interesting. And I want to highlight your uh, book, the recently one that you released, James, uh, oh, cool. you know, Passive uh, <laughs> Investor's Guide to Commercial uh, Real Estate. And yep. you want to maybe share a few words about uh, uh, that. And I think we can delve into, you know, how you structure your uh, deals and okay. the uh, GPLP partnership uh, arrangement. You want to maybe highlight and you want to go into Sure, that? sure. So I wrote, I mean, I'm an active investor. I'm a sponsor, right? I'm a, sure. Mm-hmm. I only invest one deal passively and I never even bothered about looking at it, but, but I'm a sponsor. So, but the thing is a lot of times I realize there's no materials for passive investors. Mm-hmm. Passive investors thought process is completely different from, you know, sponsors because we are, you know, looking at deals, buying deals, turning around and we look for different things. Whereas passive investors, they want to see, you know, which sponsor to go, which market to go, how do I select a sponsor? How do I select a deal, right? So, sure. so there's just no materials for that. So I wrote the book for 95% of real estate investors out there, which is <laughs> the passive investors, right? Mm-hmm. Commercial real estate. And um, 
And I think I just want to add value to them because I think it's important right now because a lot of people have FOMO right now, right? Fear of missing out. Sure. And people just throwing in money into any deals that they see in front of them, sure. listening mm-hmm. to whatever the guy in front of them telling them, right? So, but I think giving a book, give them an independent source of verification sure. on how do they go, should go about and, and choosing their deals. Right? I mean, there's a lot of books on stock investing, right? Yeah, <laughs> how to right, choose a stock right. Tons and tons of books, but there's not many books for passive investors to to choose what they want to invest. Because if you look at it, passive investors, you know, it's the same like we buying a stock. We got no control, right? When right, you buy a right. stock, you've got no control. You just read news, whatever delivered on the stock, and you got no way of seeing what's happening behind them, right? Yeah. You can just look at certain characteristics. You know, when you buy a stock, you can look at the CEO, we can look at the prospect, we can look at the where the product is going to be taken. So same thing as a passive investor, they are like stock investor, but passive investors are the people who buy shares in, in uh, apartment or commercial real estate, right? What are the things they should look for when they want to invest? So that's why I wrote this book. Uh, it's available in Amazon right now. It's in three version, Kindle, nice. Audible, and physical book. Nice. Uh, we already hit number one bestseller in US. Oh, very nice. Very yeah. nice. Congratulations. In Canada too. I have, I have investors in Canada too, so I presume people are reading over there. So Very nice. So and I think one of the good things that mm-hmm. you described, James, is that a lot of like, you know, general apartment complex or syndication books are written from a syndicator standpoint. Correct. So when I read your book, the whole philosophy uh, or the nucleus of the book is that, hey, I am a passive investor. And as a passive investor, I am looking at deals. So it's, it's almost like instead of outside in, it's just more like inside out. I like to, uh, you know, kind of Correct. target that, hey, I am. Uh, you know, I'm a passive investor, what I should be looking for in a syndicator, what, what their interests are, what should be the different uh, mm-hmm. criteria I should be looking at. So it's very interesting. And yeah, yeah, speaking great. about deal structure, uh, James, mm-hmm. uh, how how do you like go about uh, structuring your uh, sort of partnerships? Can you maybe share some details around that? So the way that I, I mean, as I mentioned in the book, there's two types of deal structure. Uh, some of it is Correct. prefer return, uh, you know, more heavy on the fees for uh, for sponsors. Uh, the other one is more on the equity split, profit split, but less on the fees. Sure. So I like to do more on the uh, profit split. Uh, in fact, I, I only do that. I only do profit split because uh, it's very well suited for value add deals. And mm-hmm. it, it puts both the passive investors and the sponsor on the same board, right? But there's pro and cons on both structure. Right, sure. uh, and that's what I've written in my book. So I usually do eighty twenty split between my investors and myself. Mm-hmm. We take twenty percent of any profit that's being generated. It gives gives us a motivation to push, really push on the profit that's being generated. Uh, uh, but when we sell, we usually give back. Uh, we make the investors whole first. That means we give back hundred percent of their capital back, and on top of that is where we split the profit. So that's how I've been structuring my deals. Nice, nice. And just on the soft side then, James, mm-hmm. uh, I know many investors who start, they would like to be in a position, I, I think in a very short time, uh, mm-hmm. I, you know, I should highlight that the amount of success and the wherewithal that you have achieved in, in such a record, like I think maybe about <laughs> four or five years now, okay. uh, it is very inspiring and um, I think an example by itself. What would you maybe tell an aspiring uh, investor that who would want to be in, let's say, James' shoes uh, in, let's say, two <laughs> to three years? What characteristics do you think that is it like, 
deal sourcing, acquiring knowledge? What what do you think separates uh, or, or uh, those investors that they should be aspiring now? Uh, I think the most the biggest problem, right? Only very few people want to be successful. I know there's tons of people who want to be successful. There's a lot of wannabes. Correct. Mm-hmm. But actually, they really do not want to be, right? So <laughs> they right. do not want to do the work. <laughs> so I was in the same boat, right? When I started looking at multifamily, right? I mean, nobody want to entertain me. You know, I said, ha. Huh. Then I listened to somebody's podcast. He said, you know, if you, you have to do things that nobody else want to do. Sure. Mm-hmm. Right? To be, you know, to come up in life and to really achieve what so so i said okay i'm going to do things that nobody else want nobody is willing to do right that's sure. why i started my yellow letter marketing mm-hmm. marketing it's a lot of work oh like, absolutely a lot of work. i mean and nobody want not many people want to do it i mean yeah. a lot of people doesn't know how to do it too correct uh, mm-hmm. but i can't blame them but you know they have to go and figure out resources and how do we get oh started. it's complete specialized knowledge i mean yeah. trying to you know come up with this <laughs> sorting the data and correct correct trimming out the records trying to you know in fact uh, i mean most of the entities for example where these things are uh, you know owned mm-hmm. are they're all hidden you 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 almost correct. have to go to that second le- level or third level where yeah. you're going and you know trying to find out that hey who owns this you know yeah. Uh, who's the true owner and right. going exactly. behind and trying to do sort of an investigative script, uh, skip tracing work as they call it. You know? <laughs> it's a lot of work. I can tell you that. And as I said, the problem with a lot of people who want to be in, in mm-hmm. my shoe is because they do not want to be in the shoe. I mean, they, they want to be, but they're not really want to be. I sure. Mean, sure. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> yeah. Say, I mean, you really need to be, I must be successful. I need to wake up at four o'clock in the morning. Absolutely. And I can tell you, they say, anybody have done it? I don't think so. And I was working. I was working full-time job when I started all this. Right? Oh, that's true. That's very Yeah. True. So <laughs> I had like 340 units while working W2 job. And how did I do it? Right. It's not easy. Right? Oh, yeah. It's not easy. So tell, me how, to wake up. tell me how I know. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we wake up like 4.30. I wake up in the 4.30 in the morning and I really, really work hard. I mean, I mean of course, we do the the normal morning rituals and all that, right? Sure, like, sure. Meditation. Mm-hmm. And, but, but the thing is, the, the, the willingness to wake up that morning and tune your mindset, mm-hmm. and after that, working on your business before going to work, you know, it's, it's a lot of work, right? And coming back you know, at night and you have to focus and sometimes on the weekends, we really, really work hard to, you know, do, you know, things that other people don't want to do, like, you know, looking for sellers, you know, learning, you know, listening to podcasts, learning from books, you know, um, and as I said, I mean, a lot of people want to do it, but uh, but really, not many people want to do it. I mean, for for example, let me give you an example. I had a, I have my webinars on how to analyze multifamily markets on mm-hmm. my website, right? I mean, that's the highest view. A lot of people look at it, and on on that webinar, I told everybody, you know, I said, if anybody wants fifteen year data of your sub market, email me at this email, right? And out of like five hundred views in that in that webinar there was only two guys until now who have asked me that question wow that right i think i mean i i always like to say this james is that now is a phenomenal time to be a student whether it is podcasts or youtube or books i mean a lot of great books in fact on amazon you can find it used for like two or Mm -hmm. three bucks i mean Mm -hmm. it it, it really is amazing the amount of knowledge that's available. And I mean, as you said, the specialized reports, there's all kinds of knowledge. I mean, I, I always like to say that, you know, 
just be a student have a student mindset if you are a right. learner mm-hmm. uh, you know there's sky's the limit and mm-hmm. you know in my podcast and on all our banners and stuff like we, we always highlight like learn grow and serve that's kind of you know you always are learning growing yourself and okay. you just have that you know service with mentality or you know service with integrity i like to call it you know yeah so, correct that's correct. a great point and, yeah so end of the day when i say whether they want to do it, it comes to their mindset right so mm-hmm. as i said a lot of them really don't want it. it's a it's a pareto principle right i mean right. i have contractors where i said i want to do a monument sign and i call three contractors none of them show up right <laughs> this is a monument sign right it's like what twenty thousand dollar business and Everybody say the coming, coming, uh, nobody will come, right? Because so, so I realized that, you know, there's very few people who will really, really do something that, <laughs> that they really want to achieve in life. That's, oh, absolutely. Most of them don't want to do things, right? I mean, even though they want to be, they want the easy way. <laughs> yep, <laughs> right? there's, there's no shortcuts, that's for sure. There's no I shortcuts mean, unless your parents are super rich and give you the money. It's, and- it's, it's interesting you say that, James, because, you know, I also wore the, you know, sort of the W2 hat for, you know, decades and, uh, uh-huh. you know, had my real estate uh, portfolio on the side. Uh-huh. I would always invariably go to Home Depot to look at something or do some shopping because, you know, in the evening I would have some meeting or some type of, uh, you know, answer that I have to go or some problem to solve, whether that's, you know, whether it's paint, tiles or whatever, you know, you're always busy, like focused on your goal. So Mm -hmm. I, I hear you where you say that, hey, you just have to you know, focus and be dedicated towards, uh, you know, really doing the right thing and not just talk about it, you know. <laughs> correct, correct. correct. So, I mean, as I said, I mean, a lot of people who work with me as well, they know I've been, you know, we are, we are making a lot more money mm-hmm. uh, doing our own business, but they don't come and ask you, right. how do you do it, right? right? So, for example, I did lay out like my tax blasting strategy in uh, one of the, you know, top podcasts. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that podcast is being watched like 40,000 people, you know, 30,000 people, until now, right? But mm-hmm. the amount of people who followed up with me on that podcast to ask me, hey, next level detail, hey, how do you do this? Correct. It's like maybe three people. <laughs> see, out of that, see, out of 30,000 people, I, I laid out how, what is the secret to reach, reach a seller right. Right. through right. that podcast. And that's one of the top podcasts, right? Uh, right. In the right. Hmm. And as I said, out of that 30, 40,000 views, I'm sure there's like at least 10,000 wannabes there. No, I, I, and the interesting thing is that there are services out there. That was actually one of my questions here as well, to be yeah. honest with you, is yeah. that what are the like contracting services or VAs or anything like that that you use to, you know, outsource some of this marketing stuff? So uh, I don't want to go into that detail, <laughs> James. Yeah, sure, we'll go into it, no problem. But, but I'm telling you, the amount of people who really want to do it, who's like, Move their uh, it's a very subset. You're absolutely find out. Hey, what is the next level? Hey, James, he has offered all this advice and he gave his contact number. Absolutely, right? there's very very few people who came to me and sent me a James, tell me exactly how to do this. I know, and I will tell them if they ask me, I will tell them. In in fact, James, I like to say this always, right? Uh-huh. That your success to your financial freedom is less than three hundred to five hundred dollars away. And what I mean by that is you can pick the best books, you can get the best analyzers or the best courses out there, and you wouldn't be spending as far as, you know, so less than, for example, for a less than thousand dollars, you can get top amounts of knowledge. And the key is action, doing it. Exactly. 
doing it the right way, pounding payments, whether it's making phone calls, going, analyzing deals, looking at spreadsheets, making sense mm -hmm. of the numbers. Mm -hmm. And as you said earlier that, hey, you know what? This $400,000 insurance is a sure anomaly and it needs that expert eye and experience to mm -hmm. spot those anomalies. And it only comes by experience and doing it. So anyways, yeah. get, getting back to that text blasting, you, you want to share some underlying, uh, you know, details yeah. as to how you go about it? Sure, sure. I mean, uh, so we basically use, so of course we use uh, sources like, uh, what is this called? Uh, uh, Listsource.com to sure. look for people. Uh, mm -hmm. Listsource is where the, all the title companies put their data in terms of uh, real estate ownership. So it's a public yeah. data, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's public data. So you can pay money. It's like one name is like 13 cents or what you just take it. And you have to use a skip tracing software like TLO or LexisNexis. Or nowadays, I think there's a few other skip tracing software and look for, you know, um, mobile phone numbers or house numbers and all correct, that. And correct. start, you know, start texting them. And, you know, it's a lot of work, right? Because now you're just yeah, you need to go to like almost third level, fourth level to. Really yeah, correct. Correct. So, and once you get that, you have to follow up, you have to put into a CRM. My CRM was an Excel spreadsheet because, you know, at that time I could not, I didn't want to spend too much money into a CRM. So, sure. mm -hmm. um, and they all start sending uh, mails out, right? So, uh, yellow letter marketing to them too, to see, you know, to see whether they can be approached by a different places or not by different ways or not right so so these are the few things that i did to find my first few deals even my single family houses i found really good deals when you go direct to them and some some of the guys who are really really good at what i'm what i described to you is wholesalers oh yeah right? so, their whole operation runs like that <laughs> yeah their whole operation runs on uh, you know getting you know motivated sellers and people right. who buy from wholesalers are the people who do not want to do the wholesalers job <laughs> so they're basically taking advantage. Uh, the wholesalers are patching in that gap, right? That ten to fifteen thousand they've been making is actually because they are doing the marketing and they have that skills, right? So, um, nice. so I learned a lot from you know learning on podcasts uh, like Bigger Pockets podcast on how wholesalers does thing, and I said, why not I try that, right? I mean, cool. that's something that nobody want to do. Right? Why not so, adapt that strategy to apartments? You know? Yeah. So, yeah. so we, we that's how we're able to find. Uh, direct sellers and you'll be surprised on I use my kids also to follow all the yellow letter marketing so I have to look for that pictures <laughs> make them work <laughs> yeah I say hey this is how we make money you know that's everybody four letters so they'll be sitting in around they have like three kids hey, you have to know the value of work you know <laughs> <laughs> absolutely and they used to uh, you know four letters and we put in and doing one weekend we right. do that that's we we're doing a lot of it when we were doing single family but that's nice. all part of the strategy and learning. Right. So James, uh, just share with our audience, like mm -hmm. what is the best advice you would have received, whether it was your mentors or whether it was your parents or friends, like what mm -hmm. sort of game changing moments you had in your journey? Like what, what were those sort of aha moments you have had uh, so far? I mean, it's all about self-revelation, right? I mean, at the end of the day, real estate is just a tool, right? Uh, sure. Um, I mean, there was one aha moment when one in single family, when we were like doing this, you know, when we were doing single family, um, you know, we were rehabbing that unit and, you know, the contractor had a few workers uh, with that, uh, work, working with him and we went and see and we saw, I saw this one old man, you know, with a broom on his hand and he was sweeping and, and that was a big aha moment because I realized, oh my, because of me, this person is getting a job. Mm -hmm. Right, and and it was 
I mean, I don't know how big was the impact, but it was a big impact for me. I said, wow, I can make an impact in other people's life, Absolutely. right? I mean, I'm giving yep. a job to someone and I'm mm-hmm. getting, giving mm-hmm. a home to someone. So, you know, I, you know, it's the mission is to help others. Right? How do you make impact in life? Yeah. So I have, a, I, have a, I have a graph that I show how much people I'm being impacted. I mean, I'm, I'm looking more into the donation side of it and all that. But mm-hmm. the thing is, I realized that how much impact you, you yourself can make. I mean, if, I, if I'm working on a W2 job, I mean, I'm, I'm an engineer and I, I'm probably making impact, but my impact is so small, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But now my impact is huge because now mm-hmm. I'm impacting directly on mm-hmm. somebody's life. I know. Right? I know. So, and in fact, similar stories on our side as well, James, that mm-hmm. I think uh, in our property management company, we probably have any time over the years of, mm-hmm. I guess, 18 to 20 years now, mm-hmm. we have had, uh, I think, internal staff versus, uh, and also some, uh, you know, uh, maintenance staff. We, we probably had a, pay, a consistent payroll of about uh, seven mm-hmm. people. And as you said, like, you know, people come in all, all forms and, you know, along the way, uh, it's great to see that, uh, you know, some of them actually uh, live uh, uh, within our buildings. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I have personally helped uh, folks uh, get on their uh, feet in terms of whether it's uh, getting a truck or a vehicle, getting a mm-hmm. van or mm-hmm. expensive tools and getting their jobs going. Uh, so as you said, I think uh, adding value and making that positive change in the lives of people and your neighborhood, I think mm-hmm. that, that I mean, very well said. Uh, I mean, I, yeah, yeah, I think it's important because more. I didn't come from a rich parent, right? So I, I, sure. it's hard for me to go and buy a Ferrari because I always think that rather than buying that, I'd rather give the money to someone who can use it, right? So, sure, 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 absolutely. <laughs> so when we are able to make that kind of impact, uh, it's a big uh, fulfilling, right? Uh, it's right. A right? So, so I think if we approach this whole game of real estate as mm-hmm. you're helping people, Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll get, you know, you may not be the richest guy or the biggest guy with the number of units, but you'll correct. get the self-fulfillment. Uh, uh, correct. I think the satisfaction and the fulfillment that you will have, you you cannot, you know, kind of put a price yeah, you to you can it. put it into price. Absolutely. And oh. I think it ties, ties back to your earlier point, which I think I want to highlight is that uh-huh. the tenant experience and the listening eye that you bring with your property management Mm-hmm. I think that goes a long way when some a resident in your building says that, hey, you know what, I have a property manager who's listening to my needs. Mm-hmm. I think it suddenly changes their mindset. And I'm pretty sure that attributes to increased retention in your buildings mm-hmm. as well. That yeah. people trust the property managers. They trust that, hey, I have someone I can speak to and relate my concerns if need be, you know. Correct, correct. Yeah, as I said, there's a lot of value in just making good management. That's it. You don't, have to, <laughs> you don't have to build a palace and give them, you know, but if you're not managing their work orders, if you're not listening to them, you know. Exactly. Uh, I mean, rent, rent price is not the top most, uh, you know. Uh, objective. <laughs> yeah, objective of any tenants. You know, they can definitely pay $20, $30 more because it's sure, sure. hard to find good good place to live. With I, so, so I appreciate it, James. And um, just a couple of last questions. I think sure. knowing the scale you are at James now, I mm-hmm. think you probably have a big staff around you. <laughs> Many things are always grabbing your attention. Uh-huh. Uh, what, what challenges do you face currently in, in at the level that you are now? Like, how do you 
kind of go about your timing? How do you sort of try to manage your schedule? Like what are your challenges day to day right now? I mean, our challenges right now is the challenges of a small company trying to grow big, right? We, we are so used to being hands-on. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we want to be hands-on, but the thing is we have to put another layer under us to start managing, right? So, sure. mm-hmm. so it's hard to find people who can meet our expectations. But, but I think recently we have been very successful in getting some corporate staff in and able to really help us with things. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a problem where in terms of growth, right? So, sure. Mm-hmm. but I think, you know, you know, we are, we are managing it, right? So, because we have our own A to Z operation, we also do property management. So we can't, we keep on buying, you know, overlapping, like today we buy, next week we buy, we, we can't do that with like some people. Absolutely. So we have to buy. a lot of respect, James, I think your uh, sort of your infrastructure is similar to us that from acquiring to, you know, uh-huh. looking through construction, management, keep up the properties. It's, it's, it's exactly it's like, you know, how we are built around here. Good, good. So we like to buy and then we like to stabilize things before buying another one, right? Because right, it right. needs our attention. So, so we are going slower than usual, but you know, some people may think it's not slow, but, <laughs> but um uh, yeah, so it's, 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 that's the problem we have. You know, who do we bring on as our staff at the corporate level that can help us right. and help us scale, right? At the same time, market is at peak, so there's not many deals out there, so we're not really rushing. <laughs> so we are focusing a lot on operational efficiency nowadays. It's, it's always that slow and steady, and being careful wins uh, wins your race for yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, correct. absolutely, absolutely. Good, good. Thank you, James. Uh, appreciate all your words today. And uh, please share with our listeners how they can reach you uh, and, uh, you know, any upcoming projects they are looking forward to maybe. Yeah, my, my website is Achieve Investment Group. Like Achieve is like achieving a goal. Sure. Uh, my email is james at Achieve Investment Group. Uh, you can definitely get my book uh, on Amazon. Uh, there is a free audiobook link in the Kindle version. I mean, the audiobook link is basically Achieve Investment Group dot com slash free audiobook if you come and you can get it the free audiobook over there Brilliant. and uh yeah i mean just go and buy i mean the physical version is like 12 dollars or 13 dollars i can't remember yeah, it's it's it's, it's kindle is 3.99 and i see people investing fifty thousand hundred thousand or even they're putting in three thousand twenty thousand you know, to be part of a club and i'm surprised that people don't want to read a book that's written for them True. Absolutely. I think <laughs> investing in knowledge is like the best thing ever someone can do and kind of, yeah. so correct, good advice, correct. James. Uh, appreciate your time today and thank you. Hey, for thanks for having me here. Today. Thanks for listening to premium cash flow real estate investing podcast. Please join us at premiumcashflow.com to sign up for weekly updates, research articles, and more. We will see you again for another great interview with an expert guest.